please stand as we read the word of the Lord from uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, praise be to God for his word. Let's all be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you for the reading. Thank you, Vanessa, for sharing your story. It's awesome, awesome to hear. If you don't know me yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm brand new, uh, and I'm just excited uh, to be with you. Uh, today, I get to share with you one of my very favorite passages in all the Bible, and all of the, the New Testament, I often point to this scripture as as my favorite, that time when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's one of the reasons that I love Jesus so much. I, um, when I, my very first email address uh, that, I, that I can remember getting, I chose foot washer 131, like for John 13, 1, uh, at yahoo.com was my email. And um, it's now defunct, so don't try to reach me there. But uh, I, I remember that my Christian friends would be like, oh, that's, that's cool, you know, I, I get that. And my non-Christian pe- friends would be like, why would you say such a thing about yourself? What is that? Foot washer? What, what is it? So, so bizarre. 
Well, I think as we, as we get into it, uh, we'll see why I think this is so inspiring of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we commit this time to the study of your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start off by asking you, just uh, love to have you shout it out, uh, what, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Go, go ahead, someone share. What is it? An architect, cool. An astronaut, awesome. Baseball player. Wow. What was that? A flight attendant, cool. An umpire, nice. I, uh, I read a study recently, uh, it came out in 2017. It surveyed 1,000 um, uh, children in the United States under the age of 12, asking them what do they want to be when they grow up. Uh, see if you can guess uh, the top answers. What do you think was the most, uh, see if you can guess the top five. What was it? Superhero? No, that's not on there. What else? Firefighters, one of them. No, astronaut's not there. Police, uh, let's see. Yep, police officer's there. You know what? Firefighter's not there. I lied. So, okay, doctor. Yeah, I heard doctor. Teacher. Yeah, teacher. All the teacher's pets say teachers uh, to get extra credit. Uh, pro athlete used to be on there, but it dropped down to number eight in, in this year's uh, survey. So it's a doctor, veterinarian, engineer, police officer, and teacher. Interesting. Some of the younger kids, they recorded their answers. Some of the, the youngest uh, kids said this. A two-year-old boy said, when I grow up, I want to be a dancing unicorn. <laughs> Three-year-old boy said, when I grow up, I want to be an alligator. Two different kids said when they grow up, they want to be an octopus. <laughs> an eight-year-old girl said she wants to grow up and be a crazy cat lady. <laughs> Bunch of little ones said they want to be ninjas. One six-year-old girl wants to be a dragon keeper. And one six-year-old girl, my favorite response, she wants to be a fence doctor. <laughs> Not sure what that is. Uh, my son, my son Peter, wave your hand, Peter. My son uh, one time told me, he said, yeah, when I grow up, I asked him what he wanted to be, and he said, when I grow up, I want to be an NFL football player. But if it doesn't work out, my backup plan is to be a pastor. <laughs> I was like, great, 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 that's your backup plan. Well, that'll be his second career after, after he's too old to play football. When I was a kid, uh, all my uh, sort of ambitions for my job were somehow about being high up in the air and having a good view. So my first, when I was like really little, my dream was to be a, like a carpenter that works on skyscrapers. So I imagined myself at the top of a skyscraper uh, hitting a hammer, but really just looking around the view. And then I got a little bit older and I learned about a profession which you can get even higher than a, uh, than a skyscraper builder, and that is to be an astronaut, as you mentioned. So I was like, I'm gonna be an astronaut and we have a really good view. Then I, I got older and I got kind of into middle school, high school, and I, I learned about a different way of climbing high. And I, I had a new ambition for what I was going to be when I grew up. I was going to be Elvis. No, 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 not Elvis. No, I was going to be uh, the president of
of the United States of America, okay? This is my most presidential looking tie. I wanted to be the president of the United States. I thought, you know, that is like, that's really, you know, being up there. And I didn't just sort of dream about it, like, oh, wouldn't that be great? I planned on it. I was thinking, yes, I am going to be president of the United States. I remember one time looking at my, my eyes in the mirror, and I'm like, wow, I'm looking at a, a future president of the United States. It's an honor to meet you, sir, right? And I told my friend Kyle, one of my best friends in the world about this, you know, for years when I was young, I'm going to be president. And he said, wow, what was your legislative agenda? I said, what? Legislative What? No, 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 I didn't have that. I was in junior high, and you know, I don't have legislative agenda. He goes, well, what, you know, what kind of laws did you want to pass? It's like, I didn't want to pass laws. I wasn't interested in doing the work of being president. I wanted to ride on Air Force One. I wanted my face to be on the dollar bill. I want to be in the history books. I planned on being the fifth head on Mount Rushmore. No legislative agenda. My agenda was to go up. Right now, Maybe not all of you entertain such fantasies, but I bet if we're honest, all of us in our lives, in some way, uh, we, we have a desire to climb up, right? We want to climb the social ladder and be the, the cool kid at school. We want to get that highest paying job or get that corner office or whatever it is that's going to get us kind of some prestige and respect. We, we just sort of are always clamoring for that award or that position or that whatever that is that people around us view as, as up. We find ourselves clamoring for that. And yeah, I think we'd, if we'd take an honest look, we'd, we'd see that, you know, in places in, in our life. But what Jesus does in our passage today, what, what's so surprising to me about it, is he does exactly the opposite of that. He doesn't climb up, he climbs down, which is a continuation of everything that we've seen in the Gospels. I mean, think about which way is it from heaven to Bethlehem? Is it up or is it down? He's always climbing down. I want to just set some context uh, for this, for um, the, the, the scripture that we're looking at today, John 13, is the gospel of John's account of what was happening at the Last Supper, those kind of the last gathering with the disciples, and, and uh, we're going to get to that. But first, I want to show you, just for some context of kind of what's happening uh, among the disciples, I want to look at Luke, another gospel writer who's also writing about that same moment, and this is what stuck out to Luke that he wrote down. It should be a familiar passage to, to a lot of you if you've been in church for a while. Luke 22, verse 19. And Jesus took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, you guys have heard that. Let's just pause on that scripture. You guys have heard that scripture before because what's happening? What's, he, he, Jesus is giving the first what? The very first communion. So this, this moment of the Lord's Supper. This is the, the moment in which Jesus, for the first time, is breaking of that bread and giving them that first communion. And he's communicating to them, I am about to break my body for you. I'm about to pour out my blood. I'm about to die for you. Now, what do you suppose the disciples' response is to that? 
<laughs> you know? Are they filled with gratitude and they, are, are they just marveling at that? Are they, are they concerned for Jesus' well-being? No, this is what happens in verse 24. A dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Are you kidding me? I mean, imagine Jesus has got to be like, are you kidding me? I just said I'm going to die for you. And you guys are arguing about which one of you is the greatest. Now, it doesn't exactly tell us how that argument went down. So we can imagine, you know, what, what does that argument look like? And you can interpret it two different ways. Let me tell you the first interpretation. Tell me if you think that's how it is. So uh, one of them says, hey, guys. I nominate Peter to be the greatest because he's got a cool nickname, The Rock. And Peter argues back, no, 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 no. John, you're the greatest because John really, I mean, Jesus really loves you. And then John says, no, no, let's like, I think Matthew's the greatest. He's writing the longest gospel. And they're all arguing that they should be ranked 12 and someone else should be one. Is that how you imagine the argument? Does that tend to be the argument in your house? I don't think that's how it went. I think probably it went something like that. He hands them the communion bread, that very first communion bread, and they're stuffing their mouths with it, and they're eating the bread, and they're like, hmm, you know what? I think I should be Jesus' vice president when I get to heaven because I'm pretty cool, and I'm pretty smart. I I nominate myself to be vice president, and someone else is like, Bartholomew, nobody's even heard of you. You're not even the top five. Why should you be the greatest? And they're scrambling over one another. They're not nominating themselves for 12. They all want to be, they all want to be number one. And that's how we are as people, right? That's how we are. They've had a little bit of proximity to the power of Jesus, and they start having these sort of power trips. And this can happen, this can happen to anyone. I, uh, I makes me think of... Um, long car drives <laughs> with my family. You'll probably hear those a lot in sermon. <laughs> uh, the spirits of, I'm, I'm driving uh, in the car and uh, you know, we have three kids and they're all p- piled in the back seat, kind of squished together. And particularly when they were a little younger, I, I, they used to, well, they still, used to, they fight a lot in the back seat, you know? Anybody else have kids get grumpy in the back seat? Yeah, yeah, I, see, I hear an amen in the back. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I've learned that when my kids get grumpy on a long car ride, my best strategy is to feed them, okay? If I, if I, if I stuff their mouth with food, all will be well. And so then I make the same rookie parenting mistake over and over and over again. I hand the single box of snacks to one of the children in the back and say, could you please hand this out? I mean, I'm driving, maybe my wife Joy's asleep. I'm like, could you please, could you please hand uh, this out uh, to the other kids, right? Now, I imagine that to be a fairly straightforward process, right? Uh, the one uh, child will divide the pretzels into three equal parts and all will be well in the world. But that's not how it goes. I'm driving along and within a few seconds I hear someone say, no, say please. Well, I... I didn't like the way you said please. I don't think you meant it. Say please again. Say please till I'm satisfied that you really mean it. Right? They're like, oh, just give me the pretzels. I'm like, oh my gosh. But, you know, we as people, we can get, we can get power trips from pretzel distribution responsibility. Anybody here ever see the show The Office? Anybody? We got some fans of The Office. What happens every time they put Dwight Schrute in charge of something? He's in charge of the vacation calendar. Does it go well? No, it goes, goes to his head. The same thing's happening with the disciples. They are focused on advancing themselves. 
And Jesus is constantly, over and over again, reinforcing the same message. He says, if you want to be a great, be a servant. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? This is a constant refrain for Jesus to try to challenge this thinking of moving up and up and instead actually encourage us to move down. In verse 3 in John 13, it says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So this is a moment where Jesus is aware that the creator of the universe put all things under his power. He's more powerful than a president or a king or a tech trillionaire. If anybody could ever have a power trip, this would be the guy. But he makes a very different choice instead. Okay, so that's sort of the first piece of context. The next piece of context I want to offer you uh, is to show you how the rabbis taught, just to kind of model this for you. So um, I need a couple of uh, volunteers. How about you two in the front row? Come on down. DJ and Todd, let's welcome these guys. Come on. Of course, they're not really volunteers, they're conscripts. So um, how about this, guys? Um, this will be my chair because I'll be the rabbi in this illustration. And you guys can be disciples. How about you? You could sit on the ground. Uh, you could find a nice, comfortable spot down there. Okay. So this is how it worked in the rabbi service. The rabbi would have a number of students uh, that would be the, the followers, the disciples. And the rabbi would sit in the teaching chair right, the elevated, more comfortable position up here where they can see him. And the disciples were lucky to have a spot on the ground. Do you feel fortunate? You guys comfortable down there? And so this is where the saying comes from, to sit at the feet of, right? We often talk about that if you're learning from, you're an apprentice or you're learning under someone else, you're, you're sitting at the feet of someone. And so these are disciples that are sitting at the feet of the rabbi, now think about the significance of that in the story. Because what basically happens is, here, Todd, right here, why don't you take this chair? Why don't you, you sit here? And then uh, DJ, oh, here, I got a chair for you. I want you to be comfortable. And Jesus ends up down at the feet of the people who sat at his feet. Do you see it? And what were these guys just, what were you guys just arguing about uh, when you guys were sitting over there? Who's, who, so did you figure it out? Which one of you is the greatest? You, you, you were, okay, you slip him a $5 bill or something? <laughs> so, so these guys are over there in the pew. They're arguing about who's the greatest. What does Jesus do? Jesus, they're, on, they're elevated and he's down at their feet. And they probably think that's a little strange. And the scripture tells us that the next thing that Jesus does is he strips down. He, he takes off his outer clothes, his robe, any symbol of rabbi uh, uh, status, he, he takes off. It says he, stri- he takes off his outer clothing. What? No, I, I have a shirt on underneath, I promise. So, <laughs> so he takes off his outer garments. I don't know if you guys have ever quite seen a pastor do this in church before. But, um, he removes his outer clothing. And sets it aside. And then the scripture tells us that he got a towel. And he took that towel and he wrapped it around his waist. He's 
beginning to dress as servants. He's visually, he's, he's moving always down. And after he's removed his outer clothing and he's wrapped a towel around his waist, he set about doing the washing of the feet. Now, another piece of context that you should, uh, you should know, um, Todd, would you mind taking off your shoes? Um, is that um, at the time of Jesus, they didn't really have, uh, they didn't wear shoes and uh, off with the socks as well. They didn't have socks back then. And um, it's good, good. And uh, they, they, what they had instead, I think you've got one. Can I borrow your... Okay, so this is more something like this is what they would wear. It's a, just a flat sole with just kind of a leather thong over it. They would hold it on their feet. And so they, they would walk around in, in just these with, with no socks. And another thing to, to think about on this is um, we, we do a lot in our modern world and landscape, the way we lay out cities to suppress dirt and to manage the drainage of water. They didn't have any of those things in their day. And so you imagine, instead of the, the asphalt, instead of the cement, just, just dirt. Um, instead of all the, the lawns and the irrigation, the, the landscaping, you just picture just a lot, of, a lot of dirt, okay? There's animals that are walking around dropping their dung all over the place. Uh, you have, uh, the rains would come in and cause everything to get muddy and kind of washed out. People would throw their trash and their refuge just out into the streets. And so these guys are walking in practically bare feet uh, through all of that, and they would get really, really dirty. So they would come in, and when they would have meals, they would actually be on the floor. So they didn't want the floor to get dirty and bring in all that animal dung and mud and dust onto the ground. And so someone would do the washing of the feet. It was always the lowest ranking person. Uh, so if a household was um, lucky enough to have servants, the, the servants would draw straws or they would establish a pecking order within themselves for who would have to do the foot washing job, the grossest job, like we heard earlier in the children's message, like the plunging of the toilets, okay? Uh, but whoever was the least would touch the grime on the feet and wash and wash it off. And Tell fellow. <laughs> so Jesus uh, dresses for the part and takes that job off uh, on himself. Can I wash your feet? Sure. Thank you. We'll feel that water. It's uh, not quite as boiling hot as last service. <laughs> so Jesus uh, takes, uh, he takes uh, the feet and he uh, scrubs out the lint and, uh, and he gets the, the other foot and he is busy about the disciples washing, washing their feet. And the Lord of the universe, then it says he, Jesus takes the towel that's wrapped around his waist and he dries the feet of his disciples. And, uh, and he goes to them one, one by one. 
Peter resists and is like, no way, like, you, you, can't, you can't do that with me. Like he, Peter doesn't like that vision of Jesus. He, he, he wants Jesus the, the conqueror, Jesus the powerful, Jesus the, the always is in a strong position. And, and, and he's like, no, 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 this is, this is who I am. And if you want to be part of me, it's going to be, it's going to be like this. And, and he goes one by one through all the disciples. And, you know, it's easy to wash the feet of someone like Todd, like a disciple like John or, or Peter. I mean, you know, how, how great, but, but you know, then Jesus eventually got to Judas. <laughs> he got to Judas, uh, who would betray him, and he actually had said at that meal, uh, one of you is going to betray, he, he knew that that was going to happen. He knew Thomas was going to doubt, he knew Peter was going to deny, and yet they were also present there, and they, Judas, can I wash your feet? <laughs> DJ, he's not really Judas. And uh, wow, look at that. Can you zoom in on this? Uh, I think he gets pedicures. It's really quite, quite beautiful feet. And, uh, and he washes all the disciples' feet, not just, not just the best or the closest or whatever. He, he actually, uh, just humbly, the master of the universe, the author and perfecter of our faith, uh, scrubs the toe jam out of the toes and takes on um, all the grime, all the dung uh, onto himself and drying it with the towel so that all of that stuff is on him, absorbing the grime and the dirt and the filth of the world onto his own self. Thanks, guys. Love you guys. Sorry for calling you Judas. <laughs> How shocked would the disciples have been to see such a thing? But this is our Lord. In verse 12, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what it is that I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and, and, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. They're arguing, who's the greatest? Well, I want to be the greatest. I want to go up. I want to be the best. And he does this. And he says, this is how I've shown the full extent of my love in John 13, 1. And then encourages we who would follow him to do the same. I remember... Um, uh, this, this guy that I met, I, I was a pastor for 10 years in Davis, California, near Sacramento. And uh, every Sunday morning on my way into church, the first person that I would see was a guy that I refer to as Larry the parking lot guy, okay? I wish I had a photo of him in an orange vest, because that's how I, I knew him. He was always in an orange vest, and he, was, he just had decided at some point, you know what? Uh, people need to find a parking spot in order to come into church, 
And we had a lot of services at the time and, and the parking lot would be congested. He's like, if they get frustrated and can't find a parking spot, they're gonna give up. They're not gonna hear about Jesus. And so I'm just gonna be the parking lot guy. And he'd get at church at 6 a.m. every Sunday, put on his orange vest and set up cones and just direct traffic to make sure people could have a good parking experience. And I thought, what a great servant. As I was in the church for a little bit longer, I, I got to know him a little bit more about Larry, and I learned that in addition to being Larry the parking lot guy, he's also Larry the associate dean at Stanford University. He has two PhDs. Uh, he's got all his advanced uh, study in physics, mathematics, and history of science. He's a widely published author, uh, and he runs the summer study program for Stanford University. And he's the parking lot guy. And I just remember being surprised when I found out all this about him because I thought, well, wouldn't like someone with all those academic credentials and someone with such an important job, wouldn't, wouldn't they feel like they're above being the parking lot guy? Wouldn't he feel like he, he should be, well, I should be, you know, teaching? Or, but but I know, he never even brought up to me any of these things. You know, he just found me a parking spot. And I just thought, wow, it just, it just strikes me as being so much like Jesus. I asked our staff this week, see, I'm new here. I've only been here a, a couple of weeks. And so I asked our staff, hey, tell me about the people of Christ Community Church. Ooh, it's like my worst junior high nightmare. Um, <laughs> tell me about uh, the people of our church. Tell me about the servants here. And so they made me a huge list. They just kept talking, telling me stories. There's no way I can tell you all the stories. But I want to share a few of you. I want to share a few of the people in our church that are quite servant-like. Now, if you end up getting mad at me for not calling your name, I, I recommend you go home and just watch the sermon from the beginning. Um, but here's a few people that probably would never want to be named or never want to be in the limelight, but, but they just are examples and inspiration to us. The first one is uh, Don Clendenin. And we'll show the picture of him. Uh, they, we had a hard time finding a photo of him uh, because he's usually the one behind the camera taking the photos. Uh, for a lot of people who are at home watching on live stream, maybe you guys have watched live stream in the past, he's often the, the camera guy uh, directing the camera. Actually, Dean Dulick, who's another one of our great servants, is on the camera today. And Don is upstairs doing the slides. Would you wave to us? Awesome. For Dean and Don both being behind the scenes guys, it's so, so great that you make this happen and allow people at home to be able to, uh, to see us. Another one, Gary Fessenmeyer. I think we got a photo of him. Gary. You guys know Gary? Okay. So apparently, apparently Gary is willing to do absolutely anything in the world to raise money for our youth group. Is that right? Uh, I have heard that at some point he kissed a pig. Is that true? And then there's something about somebody made a Sunday on top of his head. Wow. That is awesome. I want to I do some things to him and raise money. <laughs> No. no, but apparently he's willing to do all those things because he loves our youth group. Uh, you'll often find him spending time with special needs child, uh, during, children during a, a respite event. Here's another sweet servant in our church, Renee Rodriguez. Uh, Renee plays a really important uh, role on our prayer ministry, lifting up the pains of the world up to the gates of heaven. She prays with members of our congregation after the service, along with moms of school-aged kids. Kristen Gallegos finds the quiet ones. I hope I've said your name right. Um, Kristen finds the quiet ones in the youth ministry, 
and lets them know that they are loved. In children's ministry, she ministers to those children with special needs. Sherry Lee. Sherry can be found on stage. Uh, serving sometimes in a worship band, you'll also find Sherry serving at Elmwood Prison. I don't think that means serving time at Elmwood Prison. I think it, I think it means she goes to serve. Uh, Steve Goodner uh, is another one that they said. Uh, Steve, we heard from a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm told that Steve doesn't know what an inside voice is. Uh, maybe he doesn't even know if he's an outside voice, but he's got this powerful voice and he uses it so that kids feel seen and important as he shouts their name across the parking lot. Marilyn Millard. Uh, Marilyn makes weekly visits to Elmwood Prison and the Alzheimer's Care Facility to lead a Bible study. She also, along with other volunteers, makes handmade blankets, scarves, and hats to deliver them to nursing homes and pregnancy centers. These are just the people uh, among us, regular people among us whose hearts have been captured by the servant-like heart of Jesus and seek to live it out in their lives in practical ways, washing the feet of those around them. The final verse of this section is in verse 17 when Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Last story that I want to tell you is about my friend Nick Sillity. I was part of a Christian uh, fraternity in college, and I was the chaplain. Like my job uh, this one year was to was to was to preach basically, and um, uh, we would have dinner together, and and afterwards we'd all clean up. And I remember looking across the room and seeing my friend Nick Sillity, and he was down on the ground. Someone had spilled spaghetti sauce, and he, he was down on the ground, and he was scrubbing the spaghetti sauce, you know, out of the carpet, trying to get the stain out, right? And everybody else is kind of done cleaning it up, and they're kind of just talking, and he's just, he's just down scrubbing. And I saw that, and I thought, wow, that's a great example of someone being a servant like Jesus. You know, I, let me go encourage him, and I, and I walked over to him, and I said, Nick, I just want to tell you, man, that's so awesome, like, I see that you're, you're down here scrubbing, like past everyone else working, and uh, I just want to tell you, that reminds me of Jesus. You know, right now, you just look like, like a servant, just like Jesus. That, that's awesome. And he's down on the ground, and he's scrubbing, and he, and he looks up at me, and he says, don't praise me. Get your butt down here and help. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, you know, great training. And then I'm down there, and I join him in the service. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. <laughs> not just about talking about them, not just about preaching about them. It's about actually joining in and doing it. May we be inspired by Jesus. May we fall in love with Jesus and all that Jesus represents. And may we get down on the floor and scrub each other's feet. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your shining example for us. We thank you for how much you have loved us and scrubbed our feet. Lord God, we offer ourselves to you to be foot scrubbers in your name. Amen. I want to invite you all to stand now as we sing our closing song. As we close, I want to offer the benediction and if you don't know what that is, uh, it's, a, it's a blessing. It's a spoken blessing, kind of like a prayer, but 
When you, when you, when you speak a prayer, you, you speak to God about other people and a, a benediction or a blessing, you're speaking over people your prayer to God. And so in some traditions, uh, I want to invite you if you want, uh, you, you hold out your hands and receive the, 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 as, as though someone's about to hand you a gift, the Lord's about to put a gift into your life, uh, you put out your hands and just receive that benediction. I invite you to do that if you like. Now hear this blessing, this blessing from God. May you know Jesus. May you know the real Jesus who is the humble king who is always moving down, down, down all the way to the muck on your feet. May you feel his hands wash it off and dry your feet on his towel. And may your heart be so captured by this humble king that you live your life in humble servant to those around you in his name. God bless you.